This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 32. I hope you enjoyed the last two episodes where you heard the interviews I conducted at the 2013 Sun and Fun Fly-In and Expo in Lakeland, Florida. I enjoyed interviewing these passionate people as they talked about aviation careers. If you really want to hear some motivating interviews of some truly inspirational aviators, make sure you listen to episode 30 and 31. Well, as I promised, in today's episode, we're going to catch up on some of the past questions. Included in this episode is a short interview with Alan Lawless, a flight test engineer, who I interviewed in episode 22. He's going to help us answer one of our engineering questions. Well, today I have with me a frequent co-host on the show. His name's Tom Wachowski, and Tom is a corporate pilot and former airline pilot who brings it brings a real unique perspective to this podcast. But uh, before we begin, let's let's catch up a little bit with Tom because uh, he's been doing some interesting flying, and uh, we haven't spoken with him uh, for a while. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing good, Carl. Thanks for having me back on the show. <laughs> it's it's great to have you. Uh, so, where what cool things have you been doing? You know, what's what's uh, what have you been up to flying wise? Well, I've been quite busy flying. I think uh, this year so far, I've uh, already surpassed the hundred hour mark. Which uh, for people in the corporate world, that's uh, that's not low, but that's not high. That's that's a it's a good fair amount of flying for somebody in the corporate world. So we're we're right on track for another busy year, and uh, we haven't had a lot of really interesting uh, destinations. Uh, just been a lot of kind of humdrum places. But the type of flying we've been doing has actually been getting pretty interesting this year, as as the company I fly for kind of uh, looks into new places to go. We've been busy flying all kinds of GPS approaches uh, to to short runways, uh, a lot of max performance takeoff and landings. And so that has been kind of, uh, whereas in the past we maybe had about uh, 20 to 30 percent of that type of flying. Uh, this year we've probably seen upwards of 50 to 60, uh, maybe even 70 percent. Uh, some months of that type of flying. So that's kind of uh, uh, refocused our department and a lot of our guys on, uh, you know, some of the things that go along with doing that type of flying versus just shooting ILSs into big airports, which, uh, which of course, is life is easy and simple when you're doing that. <laughs> sure is. Why does that change? Is that your, your, uh, your mission changed? Is that why that's happening? Yeah, you know, I mean, as uh, I don't know if it's a mission change as much as it is um, just serving different needs of the company uh, this year. Uh, no real reason in particular, but it's just led us to a lot of uh, places where there are just smaller airports, a lot of uncontrolled airports, and uh, and, and it's really interesting flying, you know, and, and it makes for something new. Well, that's cool. Now, again, what type of airplane are you flying? So we fly a Challenger 604 and a Falcon 2000. Oh, cool. And that, that's a really highly automated and sophisticated aircraft. I've seen pictures of it. It's really neat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, today's corporate jets have got uh, avionics and computers in them that are, that are mind-numbing. They're a completely different philosophy uh, than some of the older, you know, 80s and 90s technology. So our airplane still has the 80s and 90s technology. Both airplanes actually share the same avionics, so that makes going back and forth really, really easy. Um, but, uh, but they're not the, you know, we, we're still just a simple category one ILS or I'm sorry, category one, uh, yeah, ILS and, uh, 
you know, our, our GPS approaches are not WAS approaches. And uh, so, so while we can get in uh, most of the time, it's uh, not, not uh, cutting-edge technology we're using quite yet. Right, but uh, it's interesting you said that because, like the the aircraft I'm flying now, an Airbus, it's uh, it actually was designed back in the '80s. It does do those Category Three approaches, and but it still doesn't do the WAS approaches, like you had said. Those are the WAS approaches allow you to get really low, just like an ILS down at 200 feet above the ground. Really cool stuff. Yeah, there's something else, and there's a lot more of them coming out. Uh, and, and, you, and, you know, you can buy the equipment upgrade, but it's a lot of money. Well, that's cool, Tom. I, I tell you, I could talk all day about, you know, some of your flying adventures. It sounds like uh, that corporate flying is really interesting. As a matter of fact, uh, we have some questions about the corporate flying you've been doing. And uh, you also are involved with uh, some other things. As, um, like most pilots, you have some other things going on as far as business, et cetera. So what we're going to do at the end of the show, I want you to talk a little bit about that so people can uh, – there's some financing things that you do that are really helpful for people that uh, in a podcast sure, yeah. and everything. Uh, but hey, let's let's get started with some of this listener mail. I know people are really excited to to hear from some of the folks that we have out there and, and the questions that have been written in. Again, hey, I, I want to apologize first of all to to the people that are listening that it's been a while since I've been able to do these Q and A's, and I'm getting a lot of emails. The reason that happened again is I, I'd been involved with getting uh, trained on the Airbus, and I had no idea that it was going to take so much out of me. It was too Two months of incredibly intense training, and uh, you know I was barely getting any sleep. So I'm I am catching up after those two months, but I do appreciate everybody's patience. So uh, let's get on with the mail. Uh, I have uh, our first listener mail is from Todd, and Todd writes in: I am 37 and can retire from law enforcement in five years. I'm looking at starting a career in aviation. I will be 42 when I can retire. Would it be possible for me to start now? and make a career in aviation, at least flying regional or cargo. Well, Todd, thanks for that question. I believe you can start a flying career at any time. In general, you can start anything at any time. There are age limitations on certain things uh, as far as, say, with an airline and moving up in the seniority list. You know, you have that limitation that you have to retire at a certain age. You don't have that so much with corporate. And also, of course, there's, there's lots of other airline jobs out there. And let's look at just the regional airlines. You talked about that. You can have a really long career there and make a good salary as a captain at at a regional. And uh, oh, and then you mentioned oh, cargo. Gosh, you know, normally uh, flying cargo for time building is is so that you can move up to the majors. There are some cool little uh, cargo outfits out there, uh, but uh, you know, flying UPS or FedEx, if that's the type of thing you want to do, you you really want to look at maybe doing some some cargo flying on a smaller basis. But from my buddies that have flown cargo, and, uh, and I'll let Tom comment on this too, is that they a lot of times they're flying some some interesting and sometimes questionable equipment. Uh, so you really need to look at the operator that uh, that is actually uh, flying those airplanes. And, and and again, don't forget, Todd, that there's there's also the opportunity to be a flight instructor. Just you know, there's cargo regionals, but but think about that if you if you like teaching and that's you, you should you should think about that. Uh, Tom, do you have anything to add to that? I think that's a pretty accurate analysis. Uh, the only thing I would add is is the corporate world from a corporate perspective. Uh, you know, I know folks who do a lot of um, part time work in the corporate world. So I see you know, he was going to retire, and I'm sure you know there's uh, law enforcement probably provides a pension and things like that. So he might not need to have a full time salary. And being able to fly part time in the corporate world kind of fill in right seat, I guess would be the language. You know, not have to do it to put food on his table. 
uh, that might be a great way to enter into the corporate world and uh, get a little bit of time. And then when he's got the time, maybe slide into a full-time position. And, and that would really just require a lot of knocking on doors. Now, Tom, you mentioned uh, filling in in the, in the right seat. Kind of explain a little bit about what, what that's about, you know, how that works. Yeah, so you know, a lot of folks I've seen in my career in corporate uh, have done this. Where when I say fill in the right seat, I don't necessarily mean they're they're climbing into a Gulfstream jet and filling in the right seat. What they're doing is filling in in single pilot airplanes. So King Airs, a lot of the light jets, you know, the Mustang, the Citation Mustang, or I think some of the Embraer uh, jets are uh, single pilot certified. And what happens a lot of times is whether uh, these airplanes are managed, uh, some of them are chartered. Uh, they Either insurance or the owner may just want someone in the right seat. Maybe the weather's bad. Maybe it's a long flight. Maybe they've got their family on board and they just want some extra, in, you know, quote, insurance by having a pilot in the right seat. Not necessarily somebody who needs to be type rated and gone through school and all those things, but somebody who can kind of do their own education on the airplane, jump in there and, and fill in, talk on the radios and, and do kind of support for the left seat guy. Well, that sounds interesting, and that's a great way to build some time. So that's another avenue for Todd, not just you know the cargo or the regionals. You know, the the corporate is another idea. We're going to talk a little bit about that too later, as far as corporate flying, even part time and charter that type of thing. Uh, but yes, regionals. You know, he talks about his age, and I know a lot of guys that are changing careers at that age, and they're retiring, they're moving on. Uh, a good example is you see a lot of uh, fighter pilots, of course, they're retiring and moving on to the majors, but you also see a lot of military retiring that didn't fly, and they're moving into those regional-type positions. So uh, I think I think there's a lot of things out there for you to do flying-wise. Don't you agree, Tom? Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I mean, it, it sounds like this is the time, too. Yes, it is. It is. Okay, well, well thanks again for that question, Todd. Let's move on to the next one from uh, Jesus. Uh, this is a bit of a long one, but uh, I'll try to make it a little bit shorter here. Is, uh, first, uh, he says, uh, Hi, Carl. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you and thank you very much for your super interesting and useful podcast. It's really a gift for aviation enthusiasts and pros. And I always listen to it while commuting the 80 kilometers between my home and my job. Well, thanks for that, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is a, a 29-year-old uh, Barcelona airport control tower in Catalonia. Uh, I've now been working as an ATC for... Uh, Four years, but uh, uh, before I got my private pilot license at my flying club when I was 17 and a three-year university degree in tourism, just to be able to take part in the ATC competition exams. I'm also a huge fan of the Airplane Geeks podcast. Airplane Geeks, by the way, is a, is a great podcast. Uh, I've been on their show, and they are just terrific at talking about the airline industry. Uh, apart from all that, he continues, I have decided to contact you because I face a couple of situations that require some decision-making, and I can't think of a better person to get some advice from. The first decision is not really affecting me directly, but uh, to a very close buddy who happens to be my first flight instructor and now best friend. Uh, his friend has actually been uh, flying, and he's 40 years old, and he's a first officer with an airline. And uh, he's actually facing the possibility of, of a furlough. And he wants to know, you know, he's been looking at jobs, and I'm paraphrasing this not to give too much away of, about his personal friend, but he, he's looked at jobs in Qatar or in China, and he's not really willing to move to those type of jobs with his wife and family, which that happens a lot. You know, there's a lot of folks that do want to go to China and uh, go to Qatar, et cetera. And we've talked to people on this podcast about this. But he does understand that there is a pilot shortage coming in the U.S., and uh, his actually his brother-in-law is flying in uh, Chicago, so he's considering moving to the U.S. 
He wants to know what type of opportunities are here in the United States. And now, uh, I would say this. Opportunities in the U.S. are very good right now. When you talk about the possibility of this pilot shortage, let me let me just tell you this. Number one, there's airlines that are actually having signing bonuses, especially at the regionals. Now, this is in the majors. At the regionals, there's signing bonuses for people coming over here. And also, for people that are at the regionals, they're giving them incentive bonuses to not leave. They're signing bonuses for two years. Uh, and with a two-year contract that says, no, you cannot leave the airline for two years. So that tells you a little something about how the airlines, the regionals especially, are, are kind of hurting for pilots. To add to that, I was listening to a conversation with uh, somebody at a regional airline. They were discussing how they were only able to fill half the class because they couldn't find people qualified, qual- pilots that were qualified under the new rules, meaning that you have to have your ATP. So there are a lot of jobs available in the U.S., and and to add to that, I have a lot of friends that come from, say, Italy and from other European countries, Spain. They come here because they're, just in general, not just looking at today, but just in general, in your friend's situation, there are so many opportunities here in the United States, especially for the airlines. Not so much, not so sure about the the corporate jobs, Tom. Uh, is there also those type of opportunities here for corporate? I would say yes, and and the the main support uh, reason for me saying that is is one of our pilots is actually from Europe. And he did exactly that. There's no opportunity there, so he bailed out, came over here. And, of course, this was you know, decades ago. He's worked his way up and, and, and all that. But um, it was never an airline. It was always corporate. So definitely uh, people I know firsthand come over here and, and land jobs. Uh, you know, We have someone in our department. Cool. That's, and, and it's really interesting listening to these folks. They, they talk about the, the opportunities here, and it really it's, it's amazing uh, what's about to happen in the next, uh, especially 10 years with all the re- retirements at the majors. So, yeah, this is a, a good opportunity. Also, your friend, you, know, you mentioned he's been flying for, uh, like, Airbuses and MD-80s. Well, that, uh, that would tie into actually a major job here, and they are hiring right now. So currently, yes, this is a good time. Uh, in general, uh, I think, though, your opportunities are, are usually much, much better here. Uh, so, again, thanks for that question. Uh, he uh, actually he just continues on. He says the second situation is his own. Uh, he really enjoys his time as an air traffic controller, and the working conditions and the pay are, are really good. Uh, but he's always wanted to be a professional pilot. In 10 years as a private pilot, he's only flown 100 hours. And uh, that's because in Spain, it's really expensive, and uh, he has few options to enjoy it. So to fly with an objective, quote-unquote, and without at least having to pay for it while building my experience in flight time. Therefore, he's seriously considering uh, thinking of continuing his pilot studies, which means getting his uh, ATP, commercial private license, multi-engine instrument rating, and CFIs. Uh, while working as uh, air traffic controller, he's not allowed to get another job with the exception of uh, – some other type of things that he can do, but uh, he can go out and and continue his ratings. Um, but uh, he's also looking at some of these academies. I won't actually uh, discuss the specific academies, but he also he wants to know my experience and opinion on some of these uh, different type of flying academies, and uh, also on some of these distance learning courses that they have for some of your written exams. Um, but uh, he also, you know, he's thinking of considering moving to the U.S. because of his job situation here. Again, talking about uh, 
the the prospects here in the U.S. being so good. As far as the the schools, uh, just speaking towards that, I really think that some of these schools are terrific to go to uh, and to finish up all your licenses. And uh, you could, gosh, you could really uh, get them knocked out. The problem is, and, and you talked about this a little bit in your question, as far as having those hours to actually study and prepare for your exams and questions. If you have a full-time job, tell you what, it is really tough sometimes to keep up with those studies. I'll give you a good example. I did my instrument rating, and I did it within, I think it was like three or four weeks. While I had a full-time job working 12 hours a day, I would come to the airport right after that 12-hour day and then just bang it out. It was, I needed a little vacation, I'll be honest, after that whole that whole scenario. Uh, so it can be knocked out. As far as the distance learning courses, that same school had a course online where I could get all of my ground school done and take those exams. Love it. Airlines are doing it. They call it AQP. It's an absolutely great idea to do these online courses. And uh, I think, I'm not so sure in the court, but Tom, um, I mean, what do you think as far as these bigger schools and, and trying to actually finish his ratings, especially while he's working another job. I think it might be difficult, but, you know, you can do it. Yeah, I think that it boils down to what is the goal and then finding a fit somewhere that'll help you get to that goal as quickly and safely as possible. I I remember when I first started my career, you you know, I just had a private and was looking at schools and all this. I looked at two schools that claimed to be aviation schools and uh, I ended up attending uh, one. I attended Embry-Riddle. And, but I, I ended up meeting some people who attended the other school. And what was very interesting is because the curriculums were so different, uh, the, everybody I know at that other school ended up a good five to eight years behind in the career uh, in terms of climbing the ladder than, than I did at, at my school. Now, the reason I say that is because they both advertise themselves as aviation, you know, schools with aviation curriculums. But one set people up, uh, uh, and, and it wasn't just me. I mean, a lot of people at my school were able to climb the ladder, the seniority list, all those things quicker. One set people up faster than the other. So finding that fit that meets your goal with regard to which school to go to, I think, is key. You know, the other thing he talked about and he alluded to in his email was his, his age. He's uh you know, in his 30s and all, and I think that, uh, I think that's what he says in his 30s, but but as concerning age, let's just look at my situation. I was 33 when I finally got into this flying as far as a professional career. I was 23 when I started flying for a hobby, and I knew that I was going to give up the opportunity to make it to the top of the seniority list, but you know what? I think it's, I think it's terrific. I love the job. And I didn't, you know, most of these people say, oh, you're getting in at the wrong time because I was coming into the aviation industry at the wrong time. I was building my hours. And then all of a sudden things started popping. Things, hiring went crazy. I got hired at at an airline in uh, April of 2001. And, of course, in September 2001, I got furloughed because of 9-11. But let's just look at that part of the industry as far as, you know, the ups and the downs. Everybody's talking about this, quote-unquote, pilot shortage. Well, yeah, there's a shortage of of qualified pilots, but there always is. that It's in a cycle. You have times when if you have 10,000 hours, you can't get a job. And then you have times if you just have 500 hours, it, people are knocking on your door trying to hire you. And I've had that situation before in my, in my personal life. So you really, what you have to look at is just getting into that career field period and understand that there's ups and downs more so than any other industry. And when you are looking for a job and it's during a good time, 
you know, just remember there are bad times too, and just prepare yourself for that financially. And uh, you know, Tom can talk to that, of course, in in his other uh, discussion in his shows. I mean, you have to be prepared prepared financially, don't you think, for some kind of downhill downturn, no matter what job you have. Yeah, and, and mentally too. I mean, it, it can wipe you out mentally uh, just going through that process. Boy, I tell you that uh, Jesus, he's uh, he's actually has some really, really good questions. Of course, we couldn't get into some of the personal things he had in his in his email. He has been on uh, some of the other podcasts, and he, he really is passionate about about aviation. You know what's neat is it's not just it's not just him, but there's so many other people out there just as passionate. And I really like the fact that he asks questions that are that are helping a lot of other people. And I really appreciate that. So again, if if you're listening to this and you have a question you want to ask for somebody else and you feel that they're too shy or they're just they're not willing to ask those questions, hey, write in, you know, I'll answer those questions. Tom will help out. I mean it I'd really appreciate that. But uh but again just just keep moving uh forward and if you love flying you know do it you know you don't know what avenue you're going to turn down what path but just go forward with it and and keep moving forward on your career don't stop you know keep adding those ratings uh it's something that that they can't take away from you even say you don't even fly for a living say you just go and and try to get a job and you say to somebody listen you know i'm I'm looking at job in finance oh by the way i'm a commercial pilot also and they're like wow you know that takes some effort and i think people really appreciate that uh, sorry for the long, long uh, answer there, but th- th- you know, as you can tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this whole pilot shortage. Uh, the next thing that we have, uh, next question, again, Jesus, thanks. Thanks for the question. Uh, the next question we have actually is from a voicemail, and that's uh, from Brian. Oh, and by the way, if you want to uh, call in, you can call in on 347-MY-WINGS. It's a voicemail line, so you leave your question. What we'll do is we'll we'll put it on here like you're going to see I'm going to do with Brian, but... I'm going to take out any uh, personal information. If you don't give me too much personal information until the end of the voicemail, if you don't mind, you know, contact information, that type of thing. And uh, also, as far as uh, my getting back to you on a on a phone line, if you could, please send me an email because I do a lot of transcons and I'm flying all night long. So for me to get back to you, if I call you at 3 in the morning, that's not going to be good If in your time zone. You might want to also append the fact uh, or whatever time zone you're in because sometimes you know, I'm on the East Coast, West Coast. I'm not sure in the United States, but I really appreciate that. But let's go ahead and listen to, to Brian's uh, voicemail. And well, he actually is—he'll uh, talk a little bit about it. But uh, he's—he uh, started flying well and uh, passed the bar exam. But we'll, we'll let him talk. So here's the voicemail. Hi, Mr. Valeri. I guess to give you a quick uh, uh, ATC call rundown. My my name's uh, Brian. I'm 25 year old. Uh, I live in St. Louis, Missouri. Finished. I graduated from law school last year in 2012. Ultimately, I, I would love the opportunity just to chat with you for for you know a half hour or so about some different career possibilities. But um, I guess then to explain a little bit more, um, I got to know you and, and sort of through the Stuck Mike Avcast, and then you had a tie-over into the other program, uh, your Aviation Careers podcast. Um, and I, I started listening last summer when I began flying. And, uh, and I, I also, I really, I really, really do appreciate what you do. The podcast that you and, and the other guys do are, are such a great resource for those that, that are looking for it. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm 25. I, I went to law school directly out of college uh and i and flying was always something I, I wanted to try but i didn't start until i was preparing for the bar exam i needed a distraction that wouldn't allow me to think about law 
And I found being in the cockpit, a terrified student, allowed that. Uh, so I started when I was preparing for the bar last summer, and since then I, you know, I sort of immediately fell in love. By the end of the first week, I knew that something was going to change in my life, and uh, I'm struggling to figure out exactly where it fits in as to as to the you know combination of law and and with the changing regulations and and my interest in public service and and serving the, the government or the community at large. And as somebody who, you know, talked to so many people and knows so much, you know, different facets of, of the industry from whether it's flying to the cockpit or, or like your most recent one to, you know, an FAA examiner, or I'm sorry, an FAA accident investigator, I would love the opportunity just to chat with you briefly. Um, thanks so much. Well, Brian, you know, thanks for that uh, voicemail. I really appreciate it. And and yes, I'm going to try to get back to you. But in general, there were, wasn't a real specific question there, but I, I get the gist of, of what you're looking for and look, looking towards getting involved with something in the community and getting involved with with uh, giving back to your community and also somehow maybe melding the two, aviation and, and also flying and the two types of careers. Uh, I have seen people do both. Uh, not just not just law, but uh, I know dentists that fly uh, as airline pilots. Even I know doctors that fly part time. Uh, everything plumbers. I mean, there there's it depends on the type of flying you want to do. But you can you can design the life that you want, and and that's really important is to realize that if you love law and you love flying, those two can come together. Actually, let's see, it was not this year, but last year, 2012. At Sun and Fun, I interviewed an attorney who actually became an aviation attorney, and he likes to spend his spare time fixing up aircraft. So he's he's in the aviation field, and it's his hobby also, and it, and it was wonderful. He had actually a champ that he had restored, and it was in the vintage section in, at Sun and Fun. So uh, if you want, try to go back to those interviews I did at Sun and Fun at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com. I'll put that in the show notes. But uh, but Brian, yes, we you can define anything you want to do, and you should go for it. Uh, and it's it just basically it's what is it you want to do. I think that I would agree with you, Carl. You know, what, what do you want? Um, and also keep in mind um, for Brian, you know, being a lawyer in aviation, is that, that's a real differentiator uh, from, you know, the quote, competition. And I can think of so many places, uh, coming from a corporate perspective at least, that he could go with the law background. Um, I mean, in corporate aviation, there's, there's, they, they need lawyers for taxes. They need lawyers for legal issues. You know, how is an airplane owned? Uh, the ownership structure, how is it operated? Uh, the charter structure. You know, in addition, uh, it, the insurance uh, part of the game in corporate aviation, I, I've met lawyers that do that and fly. And also sales. I mean, it, in corporate aviation, they're always buying and selling airplanes. And if you're going to buy and sell something, you know, from five to fifty million dollars, you're, you're definitely going to want a lawyer involved in that. So I can think of a lot of places uh, where that would really set him apart. Number one for getting noticed, but number two for being able to provide value to the company or the organization that he was uh, that he wanted to be part of uh, in the aviation community. I, I just think that he's really set up in a good spot there. Oh, you know, Tom, you brought up a good point there is uh, you can think of not just the corporate 
departments, but also airlines. I mean, they have a lot of attorneys at the airlines, and 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 just the same thing that you said. I mean, there's that you're a big asset to them, especially if you you have a background in aviation. So yeah, we have a pilot on the field who I don't know him firsthand, but I know him secondhand. I've, I've met him before. Who he is a um, he is an aviation lawyer. He's actually works with AOPA on some of their uh, aviation law programs, but he also flies a Challenger. Uh, full-time as well. So it's totally possible to do both. I'm glad you brought up that uh, AOPA. I was actually, as you know, I'm uh, on Sun and Fun Radio, and I interviewed the attorney over there at uh, AOPA. And here's someone again. He's taken his love for aviation, and now he's the attorney for AOPA. And, you know, something that comes to mind, and it did to me, is that you say, gosh, you know, that it's impossible for me to do that. Well, that you can say that about just about anything. But if you set your mind on it, you could, you, could, you could obtain that goal. You just have to say to yourself, I can do this. So don't think you can't be an attorney for an airline. You know, all those people came from somewhere, and they all started out just like you and me. Yeah, and, you know, and one more thing to add there, Carl. You know, he mentioned in that voicemail how – and, and he and he could hear it in his voice too. He really had a passion for serving, you know, for for community and, and taking care of things like that. And an AOPA would be a great place for that. I mean, and also the corporate side has the NBAA, the National Business Aircraft Association, and you know, groups that are out there trying to serve their industries. Uh, definitely opportunities for him if that's where his passion lies within law. Oh yeah, I mean, there's numerous. Uh, you know, we could keep going. IATA, there's all sorts of different organizations out there that you really can help serve. I, I there's, gosh, I could think of twelve right now. A dozen, so, <laughs> and they're all aviation based. It's it's absolutely terrific. I mean, there's so many neat things out there that, um, you know, even flying old World War II vets. I mean, that's that's pretty cool too. And they uh, they have an organization. They actually have an attorney there. And so that that there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that he can do. So that's terrific. I'm very excited for you, Brian. And and again, I will try to give you a call back on on your phone. Um, but again, thanks for that voicemail. If anybody else wants to send one in again, it's three four seven my wings three four seven my wings. The next question we have is uh is an email and it's from John. And let's see, he says, "Hi Carl, love the podcast. I'm a private pilot student approaching my check ride. I started flight training a little later in life. I'm 36." And I'm at peace with the reality and the possibility of having a full-time flying career is probably unrealistic. However, even before I started primary training, I had thought it would be cool to one day become a CFI. I used to be a teacher, and my grandfather was a flight instructor in World War II, which adds some sentimental motivation to the endeavor. However, it's taken me a long time to get my license. I estimate that by the time I take my checkride, I'll probably have close to 100 hours. Everything I've heard about the instrument rating makes it sound like it takes an equal, if not longer, amount of hours to say nothing of a commercial or CFI ratings. My question is, would a flight school look at someone who took such a long time to learn how to fly, look poorly upon them? How about uh, real flying jobs? And are they looking for pilots who completed their primary training as close to the FA minimums as possible? You know, looking at, first of all, question, oh, let me just finish what he said. He says, anyway, love the podcast. I've been listening from the start. Keep up and good luck with the Airbus, John. Well, uh, thanks, John. I actually did finish up my rating on the Airbus. I appreciate it. Uh, as far as uh, your career change, first of all, and, and uh, how people look at uh, how long it takes you to finish your ratings, I don't think that really matters. Uh, really, honestly, when someone's hiring you, they're looking at your total time. 
I don't think I have ever been asked how long did it take you. In the old days, like when I first soloed, and this is going back a while because you can't do this anymore, I soloed in a little bit under uh, eight hours of flight time, which right now you can't do because you have to take a pre-solo written exam. And I'm not going to give away my age, but the uh, <laughs> but yeah, they didn't have pre-solo written exams when I started flying, so you could actually you could you could solo a lot earlier. Um, but uh, anyway, he goes on about real flying jobs, and gosh, you know, you can get into these jobs any time in your career. You just have to, again, realize that you may not make it to the top of the seniority list, but you know what? It's a great job. It's a lot of fun, and there's all sorts of flying jobs out there. You know, like our, our last uh, person that, that uh, had the voicemail, there's there's mission uh, aviation. You can go out and fly missions for, for charities and that type of thing. Uh, but as far as, you know, real flying jobs, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. As far as trying to get your ratings in the FAA minimums, I'll be honest with you, I've never, no, I shouldn't say that. I know one guy that finished his private pilot in less than the FAA minimums. I actually told the guy, go fly for 10 hours. But that person I found out had some flight experience years and years ago. So that was like the only person that could finish it within that FAA minimums. And I used to do training for the Air Force as a subcontractor. And the Air Force fighter pilots that I trained, most all of them didn't finish in the minimums. So don't feel bad about not finishing within those minimum times. But so so that number don't look at that's a minimum 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 so uh, just make sure you 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 remember that you just finish it when you have all the hours you need to fly well okay so that's really really being that's important to look at as a matter of fact just to add to that and I'll let Tom also comment here in a minute is that the one thing the employer will look at is how many check rides you've actually failed. And that's more important than how long it took you, because the number of failures might might be neg- you know show negatively on your getting that job. You know, have you ever passed a, or failed a check ride? Is one of the questions you almost always will get within that. Uh, so, Tom, can you add to what I said and also maybe agree with some of it or disagree? Yeah, no, no, I I agree with with all that, Carl. I, I would say you know moving as fast as one can through the ratings is not necessarily a good thing. I one thing to realize is that those times when we're out getting ratings and Carl, you could probably test this going through the Airbus, although you did have a calendar to keep to. But those times going through the training are your times to really sit there and digest and learn and master. And the reason I say that is what you what you don't want to do is rush through all the ratings, not learn the fundamentals that you'll need to survive in the world and then get out in the world and be put in situations where you need to rely on knowledge that you never got because you just rushed, rushed, rushed through. Carl, I'm sure you can attest to flying with people who you can you can tell that they did not really get everything they probably could have out of their training you know, years later, even in a professional career. And you can tell who really took the time to learn how to fly an airplane and, and how the environment works. And so I'm not, I'm not sold on rushing through and uh, take that time to really become a great pilot. And to add to that, you, usually where you see most of the challenges is in their 
instrument flying. In other words, being able yes. to do turns, climbs, straight and level flying. And he's talking about his instrument rating. That is an incredibly important rating because you will use that instrument rating for the rest of your career. And these are the basics that you're going to build on. And, you know, if you've ever done any type of martial arts or anything, it's always back to the basics. You know, this is, as they say in football, this is a football and we're going to get across <laughs> the goal line. That's the basics. And you don't want to go away from that. You want to be able to fly properly. And I, like Tom said, gosh, you know, that that's a good point, Tom. You know, I've flown with people you could tell hadn't had much experience actually flying uh, instruments and uh, flying properly. You know, they pass a check ride, but don't just pass your check ride. Be a good pilot, no matter what. So don't worry about the time it takes you. Just get out there and fly as much as you can and do it as well as you can. And aim. your goal is to be uh, just doing everything right every time. Uh, going back to the training, uh, you know, the, the time frames that, that we had set up, especially at the airlines, you have specific uh, training gates you have to get through. But even at that, say you are having a challenge with something, then then they will adjust your training schedule to fit your needs. You know, you actually will be able to do a little bit more training on a specific topic that uh, you you had a challenge with. So So, again, even at the airlines, people take extra time. It's not just, you know, cut and dry. Although at that point, the people you're flying with are, are so experienced that they usually, they know that you can get through that training with these type of classes. You know, they shoot for the average, in other words, as far as the, stu- or the pilot coming through. But yeah, I, I really, <laughs> speaking of the, the Airbus training, you know, again, I felt like I, I learned a lot and I learned a lot about the airplane. But remember one more thing is no matter how much you train and how much you know, you're going to learn as you fly the airplane. I'm sure, Tom, hmm. you're still learning your airplane. Oh, yeah. I'm still learning my airplane, obviously. Uh, I My last plane, I had over 5,000 hours in, and I even you know would learn something in that airplane as I was flying it. Yeah, every flight, no doubt. Yes, yeah. and that's the cool thing about the job is uh, and about flying is, uh, you know, people say it's routine. Uh, I find the people that say it's routine aren't ones that push themselves and challenge themselves, you know, and, the, and you really, really should do that. But again, you know, thanks, thanks for the comments there and, and the questions there, Jen. That was, that was excellent. Okay, next one's from Tim. He says, hello, my name is Tim, and I'm 16 years old. I would like to pursue an aviation career either as an airline pilot or a corporate pilot. But I have many questions. I would like to have a four-year college degree as well as all my pilot's licenses, ratings, certificates, etc. Therefore, my first question is, what would you recommend in terms of getting my pilot training and a college degree? Should I do one or the other first or both at the same time? My second question is, what your thoughts were on the big flight academies? Uh, For instance, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. I won't name any academies. Or uh, working on getting the training through a local instructor or a smaller school. Love the podcast, and thanks uh, thanks for listening to my question. Thanks. Well, Tim, thanks for the question. You know, this is, that's why we're here. I'm going to let Tom uh, start off with an answer to this question. And Well, you know, it's going to go back to the same thing I've said in, in other episodes, and, and I said earlier, is what do you want? It, it really comes down to how do you see yourself getting from A to B in this career. And, and I can speak to it from having done both things that he talks about in that, uh, in that question, having done you know, a community college while I was getting ratings, having, and then you know, so doing both, uh, having also attended you know, an a academy, so to speak, when I was attending uh, a university. And 
also flying and learning to fly with, uh, you know, the small mom and pop flight school. I've done all of those. And so my advice is really to figure out which one fits you the best and get you from A to B on the path that you want to take. Not necessarily maybe the quickest path, not ne- necessarily maybe the cleanest path, the path that you want to take. So I would get clear on that and then I would make some decisions on should I you know, get a degree while I train? I would make some decisions on should I go to an academy or a local flight school. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I used to always tell people is get all your ratings as quickly as you can. Um, but that advice kind of backfired on me a little bit. I had a student, and he, was, he finished his associate's degree. But prior to even completing or even going for his associate's degree, he got all his ratings. And he was able to start flight instructing while he was in college and building all this time. He finished his two-year degree, and then he got hired with an airline. And he became an airline captain before he was able to get his four-year degree finished. Now, I, I probably didn't stress this enough then, but I'm stressing it now, is that you really, if you want to move forward, especially with the airlines, and, and Tom, you can comment about the corporate uh, environment, you really should have a four-year degree because, yes, people get hired without degrees at the airlines, but... One of the things that you'll see is some of these websites nowadays, because they're making you you know, apply online, they will drop you from the application process if you don't have that four-year degree. They use filters, kind of like you're searching online, you have a filter and it says, okay, we're only at, since we have 30,000 applicants, we're going to get rid of everybody that doesn't have a four-year degree. Okay, now we have 25,000 applicants. So you know, that's, that's one of those things you don't want to be filtered out of. And I think it means a lot to have that four-year degree. As far as flying skills, et cetera, I've seen people people that have no degrees that fly really well, that isn't the point. The point is you want to get hired and you want your resume to to look good. And as far as the corporate world, I think that you probably should have a a four-year degree, Tom. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, I would say, and this is, I don't have a a statistic to prove this or anything, but I would say in 80 to 90% of the situations in corporate, they're going to want a degree. Uh, the other 10% is just you did an excellent job of networking your way into a position. Um, so, so get the degree. And by the way, you know, the degree is going to give you – I remember going through school thinking, taking art. You know, like I'm going to go fly airplanes. What do I need to take art for? And doing all these things that I didn't think really mattered to the direction that I wanted to take. But I look back now and that degree – did so much more than prepare me for a career in aviation. It prepared me for life. And so I, I think that a lot of times when we talk about degrees and careers and especially in aviation and we go, oh, I'm never going to use that degree in geology or that, that degree in arts or whatever, you, you're right. You're not going to use the specific technicals, technicals of that degree. But when you're sitting down in an interview and they're asking you things about your life, you'll be able to lean back on the time you spent getting that degree and give answers that'll get you the job. Great point, Tom. And I, I'm glad you brought up the art degree. I, I spent a couple of years uh, studying art history, and I found that in my life, even today, I'm using that part of my degree. And I'll speak about history or about art, and I'll have some knowledge. Mm. I mean, you're sitting there in front of a painting. It gives you some. It makes you more rounded and gives you yes. an ability to, to speak more than just about your job. You know, and, and I'll tell you the other thing a degree does is it, it did this for me was it'll give you a real solid foundation of confidence. Uh, I never was unconfident about getting through school, but I remember finishing. Even to this day, I'm like, you know what? I, I did that. Bring it. I can do anything. <laughs> so it, it can do a lot more for you other than just help you become a good pilot. 
It's really an important thing. You know, Tom, that, that keys on to something else. The other confidence uh, you get when you get more degrees and more training and say you go through more airlines is that you have the confidence to actually make it through. A good example is when I first got hired at the regionals, the first time ever ever with an airline, I said to myself, oh, my God, can I do this? Mm-hmm. And and there was there was a little bit of a challenger, and I knew that I got through college. I probably could do this. I could stay up late and study. Well, it just so happens I was furloughed so often that I never did recurrent training. I did initial training. This is my, let's see, fourth or fifth initial training with an airline. And in this one that I just did, I said to myself during the training, again, oh, my gosh, can I make it through this? But I knew I could because I've done it before. And it gives you that confidence that, yes, I can make it through because it is challenging. And that's the same thing. You have a college degree. You know you've done it before. You know you can get through this studying. Definitely. Uh, Oh, and getting back to his, his speaking towards the large schools, Tom uh, cued in on this, and I think this is the one of the most important things at a large school is the aspect of networking. I personally did not have a great network because the school that I went to had nothing to do with aviation, and there may have been one or two airline pilots to ever come from my school. But some of the things I got involved with helped. Like I'm very involved with the FAA safety program, and I'm a volunteer presenter for them. That helped me a little bit. So going to a larger school, uh, the big names out there, boy, uh, you know, I'll name some of them, Embry-Riddle, Flight Safety, you have an alumni out there that are at these airlines, and you have something to talk about at that interview. And they might think, hey, this guy's from Memory Riddle. I'm from Memory Riddle. Uh, I think he would be a good pilot here. And, and that's, my, that's my thought on, on a larger school. It's about the networking. It really, really is. Yeah, and, and, and I think you could probably get some of those, the network at the smaller schools, too, when you have such a focused path that they're teaching, a focused curriculum, I guess I should say. Yes, yes, definitely. And uh, those, I mean, there's a lot of other schools out there, and you're going to find somebody that has some relationship to you somehow, no matter what school you went to. And, you know, I went to Scranton, Pennsylvania, and got my degree at University of Scranton. Well, not too many aviation jobs I can talk about, but I sure can talk about The Office, because most people have listened to that show. (laughs) 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 That's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's it's really, you know, it's true. You can, you can, uh, you can relate to people based on no matter what background you come from. But, uh, well, I hope we've answered those questions there. That was, that was some good stuff there, Tim. I appreciate the, the question. Uh, there's another question that we have that came in from Junior. And uh, Junior actually asked a question about engineering degrees. And uh, Tom and I really don't have that big of a background in, in the actual engineering and flight test engineering. So, uh, Tom, if you don't mind, I'm going to hand this over. We, I did a, a quick question and answer session uh, using Junior's questions. Uh, so we're just going to listen to that first. It was, again, with Alan Lawless. He's a design test engineer, and he's been, he was on a previous episode, uh, and uh, it was, he's really good. He has a lot of knowledge. And, and let's, let's go ahead and listen to uh, uh, a voice answer and my interview with uh, Alan Lawless. So here, we'll go, we'll go turn it over to Alan. Junior writes, Dear Carl, my name is Junior. I'm writing to you from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and want to express my appreciation for the job you do to enlighten listeners about aviation careers. I'm a graphic designer and have decided to move to an aviation career. I've been looking for information relating to the aviation field. However, I was not able to find something from an aviation personal perspective. 
When I found your podcast on iTunes, it caught my attention, and I've been listening ever since. Well, thanks, Junior. I appreciate that, and I'm glad this is really helping you and some other people. As a matter of fact, uh, Junior writes in a question. He says, uh, I just heard your talk with Alan Lawless, and I would like to address a question to both of you. I graduated with a degree in design, and I'm interested in aircraft. This year, I started aircraft maintenance training. Even though I haven't started working as a mechanic yet, it's clear to me that I'm in the right path due to my good performance in training. Apart from getting to know airplanes in a more technical sense, by studying for my aircraft and power patent license, I intend to also study avionics. I'm quite interested in taking on aeronautical engineering master's degree. The facilities of Embraer and Helibras Eurocopter are within 300 kilometers from me, and the idea of participating in the aircraft development process sounds amazing. Well, thanks for those questions. Uh, he does has uh, he writes on that I have some concerns about only having a master's degree in engineering. As a matter of fact, I have with me today uh, Alan Lawless. Alan, uh, thanks for coming along today. Well, always a pleasure. <laughs> and uh, I was, I'm glad you're here to help uh, Junior and, and guide him along here. Uh, he did say he has some, some concerns about this master's degree, and uh, his first question is, uh, should I begin with an undergraduate degree in engineering per, before before pursuing a master's degree? What, what are your thoughts on that? Basically, yes. The, um, the, so to be a flight test engineer, uh, you basically need to be an engineer first. Uh, there's so much that you learn in engineering school in college. Uh, fundamentals, the mathematical fundamentals, and, and the language and, and the tools. Uh, for instance, a, a Fourier transformer, a Bode plot, or data analysis uh, principles, and how we look at things. Um, if you don't have that basic engineering background, then it's going to be hard for you to keep up with what's going on around you. And you, it's, it would be like you know, being dropped in another country. Not knowing the language and always playing catch up, and so you'd never really bring a lot of value to the table as an engineer. Um, so most organizations have strict rules about who can be hired, what sort of uh, educational background is required to get in as an engineer. Now, having said that, if that is not something practical for you, but you want to get your toe in the water and that sort of thing, there might be a another uh, job position available, for instance, as a technical aide. And there typically is not a, uh, a full engineering degree required, perhaps a two-year associate's degree, something showing some technical background. And in that case, you can do similar work, but you wouldn't be held to the same level of accountability and authority because it just couldn't be expected that you would know all those things. So that might be a path to get your foot in the door, and then if you do well, and over the course of years, you could still learn the the tools of the trade and so forth, and it would take longer to get there, and perhaps then you could go from a technical aide to an engineer, even without an engineering degree. And that's the organization's decision. That, that wouldn't be uh, at a high level. Uh, the Society of Flight Test Engineers when we look at what it takes to qualify as an FTE, uh, we would say that you do need a, a technical degree, a bachelor's degree in a technical area, uh, although there, again, can be exceptions to that. Right. 
Right. And, and going back to his questions about getting his master's degree, I think uh, in a lot of different careers, even in, besides engineering, say in computer science, if you're going on to your master's, there's so many basics you need to know. It would seem that you would have to take so many catch-up classes or basic classes that you might as well go ahead and get your, your bachelor's before you actually move on to your master's. Does is, is that, that seem like a good idea? Absolutely. I think you just, you just nailed it right there. That you'll probably do, you'll have to do at least half or two-thirds of the basic uh, degree anyway. Right, right. So that that makes some sense there. So, yeah, I guess you're going to have to spend some time there. But it's interesting that there is an option to move into, like, an engineering field with with practical experience. But it seems to me that it would be more efficient. I know right now it doesn't seem that way because you're in school, but it would probably be more efficient to get the bachelor's done or, or take all those courses to finish the bachelor's and then move on to your master's, even though it doesn't seem like that right now. But it's probably going to take, I would think, longer later to move into an engineering uh, uh, type of position within a company if you didn't have that technical background? I would certainly agree with that. And uh, furthermore, as I mentioned uh, previously in, a, in another another interview, it's a lot easier to get that sort of stuff done before your career gets going and before you uh, in, you know, invoke family obligations and all these other kinds of things to get that sort of study and so forth out of the way early. Great. Um, now, some people, it, it turns out it's just the opposite. They, For whatever reason, they, they can't uh, pursue the degree right away, and they need to get to work, and they just need to get their foot in the door. And so there are some opportunities, but each organization has its own rules on how they handle things like that. Right, right. Well, moving on to his next question, um, he asked this, uh, is it important to have a pilot's license to be a flight test engineer? And I'm going to answer this real quickly. I think it's great to have a pilot's license no matter what you do. It's one of those things they can't take away from you. It's kind of like becoming an Eagle Scout. It's, it shows that you have dedication, that you can study, and that you're really interested in aviation. That's my perspective. Uh, and, and even if you don't go into aviation, say you, you, you go into some other field, journalism, etc., you have a body of knowledge someone else uh, doesn't have. But now, looking just as a, as a flight test engineer, I'll ask Alan, uh, do you think it would be important to have that pilot's license? Uh, first off, your your initial answer is spot on. Uh, I couldn't have said that better. Uh, as far as being a flight test engineer goes, again, it helps all the more. Um, most FTE positions do not require a pilot's license. Um, now, in, again, in some organizations, they define an FTE as a person who actually flies in the airplane. And the closer you are to the front seat of that airplane, the more likely it is they would require a, a pilot license. But that's pretty rare. Uh, most of the time, they want somebody with air sense who understands what the pilots are looking for and what's important and what's not. So having the background or even a, a uh, passing the ground examination test. So even if you don't can't afford a pilot's license, if you go through the ground school and pass that written test, that, again, shows that you have the initiative and the, and the desire to, to learn that sort of thing and you're willing to put some effort into it. So that's, that's never a bad thing. You know, it's interesting you said that. Another thing that, that someone could do is say they don't want to fly, they, they're interested in, in aviation, they actually can get their ground instructor certificate without even touching a, an airplane. So there's there's another idea I just came up with. Sure. sure. <laughs> um, now, his, his next question here, moving on, um, is one that uh, I'm going to have to refer to you because I'm not sure how to answer this one, but here it is. Is there any role in aerospace industry for someone like me having a design background and mechanic skills? I don't know. 
is my answer. Um, most organizations, especially large organizations, tend to be very specialized. And you have to have very specific skills in, in a certain area to, for them to look at you. Um, and one of those organizations might need a designer and, and so forth. Uh, you know, just with your names kind of spelled on it, like a perfect match. Uh, more generally, however, uh, organizations, they're looking for the classic uh, criteria. Um, and uh, there's not a lot, I haven't seen a lot of room for designers, other than in the case of, say, interiors, interior design and so forth. And uh, those are not necessarily airplane people. Those are, those are, for instance, interior designers who might happen to have experience doing airplanes or automobiles and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, the, the design um, term is kind of broad, so it could apply. Right, right. Well, gosh, that's, that's the end of his questions. I think. Thanks, uh, Junior, for your questions. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before we uh, get off the line here? No, that's uh, good from my side. All right. I appreciate your help with this and uh, taking some time to answer uh, some of our folks' questions here, Alan. And uh, it really, really is a joy talking to you. And uh, maybe we could do this again sometime if someone else uh, writes in a question. Oh, sure. Be happy to. Well, that was some really good information related by Alan. He uh, he really does have a lot of knowledge. He does a lot of recruiting. He's very involved in the engineering programs throughout the country and uh, throughout the world. Uh, if you actually look him up on the internet, you'll see that he is uh, he's actually at some of the top positions at some of these uh, different engineering organizations. And he's a terrific guy. He he's uh, you know the, the the geeky engineer, but he's also someone that that loves to speak to people. And I, I love that about Alan. Uh, is there anything you want to add to Alan's uh, answer there, uh, Tom? I don't know if there was anything you could do. No, he yeah. that he is the expert. I yeah. would listen to that man. Yeah, Alan's a great guy, and, and we hope to have him again on the show because he really. Uh, he's helped me tremendously understand uh, the degrees in the in the career field of, of aviation. So again, Alan, and uh, thanks for that. And also, Junior, thanks for that question. If I have any more, uh, of course, we'll probably have Alan on again. Uh, and I know a lot of you folks are interested in engineering. As a matter of fact, uh, engineering can help you even with your flying career. Say you decide to, to go into a career of flying, engineering can help you there too. You know, it's a, it's a discipline. It's something that's not that easy to do, just like getting a career, getting a job in, in aviation. Well, moving on to our next uh, question. It's from Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan writes in, Hello, I hope this finds you well. Just writing in with a question regarding my piloting career. I was interested in becoming a pilot since high school, but was discouraged by the high costs of flight training and low starting wage. The UAV industry, uh, the unmanned aircraft uh, vehicle industry, is starting to make me reconsider. It seems as though a lot of unemployed pilots seem to be flocking to this as a backup. I'm almost 25 years old. I have a double major degree in finance and accounting. My questions are, am I too old to become a professional pilot? Number two, what pilot ratings would I need to become a UAV pilot? And number three, how would you suggest I go about my career? Well, Jonathan, thanks for the question. I I would say no, absolutely not. You're not too old to become a professional pilot. You're actually fairly young, and uh, I would I would say that yeah, that's that cost of obtaining your your licenses uh, and the low starting pay. That has been something that's been going on forever. Uh, I do admit, though, that the cost of actual training has gone up dramatically in the past few years, so I do agree with that. 
Uh, but there are many uh, avenues for loans and grants and scholarships. As a matter of fact, I'm finally breaking down, and I'm going to put, start putting a list on this website, aviationcareerspodcast.com, of loans and grants and scholarships. Uh, so that can help you out a little bit there. But no way, you're not too old. I mean, I was in my 30s when I started flying. Uh, and also, you know, remember that it's an a, there's an ATP standard now, and people are going to be 23 years old when they get uh, they get hired. Uh, concerning the unmanned aircraft systems, or UAVs as you call them, there are schools that offer training. Uh, there's, of course, many requirements, and uh, you also have to... Uh, make sure that you can uh, check, you know, pass the background check because of the fact that I forget what they call it, but there is, uh, you do have to, because it's a attached to something which is considered like a, a weapon, then therefore you have to have some type of background done. But I do have an expert in UAS training coming on uh, to the show in the future, so hang on about that, the UAS training. Uh, but concern, let's, let's con- talk about your career as a pilot in general. I'm not sure I hear about a lot of people going to UAS or, or unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, but I do know there's more people interested and more people flying those. I really personally don't feel you're going to see the pilot taken out of the equation for one of the main reasons is that with an airplane full of 400 people, I think you're going to want someone else to quote unquote have some skin in the game while they're flying. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't want somebody on the ground flying your aircraft thinking that this is just collateral damage. I know that's a horrible way to look at it, but uh, you know, it really is good to have someone there and someone who's thinking as a person because there's I, you really can't just replace a, a actual pilot flying the plane because the pilot's making all these decisions not just flying the airplane can fly itself fine you're making a lot of different decisions that's what you're paid to do you're paid to make up time you're paid to make decisions and and a computer really can't can't uh, do that so if you really like flying go for it move forward uh, you have many many years ahead of you i i, I laugh when you you say your age because there's there's so many people much older than you that uh that they want to get into this as a flying career, and uh, they, gosh, you know, and they're doing it, and they're loving it. They're, they really are. Uh, so make sure you do what uh, what truly makes you you happy. You know, that's an interesting timing on that <clears throat> on that question because uh, a friend of mine who uh, worked with a large fractional carrier had uh, just left, uh, took a leave of absence uh, within the past four months to go fly UAVs. And uh, so, you know, there's somebody who was in as a piloting career and decided to kind of change up what he was doing and uh, is now doing the UAV thing. I I will say this, you know, he asked, how how do we suggest he goes about his career? And I'm just going to fall back on, you know, this thing that I that I keep coming back to, which is, you know, what do you want? You know, what do you see yourself doing in this career? If you want to do the UAV route, do you see yourself, you know, going overseas because you most likely will? Uh, versus do you want to be home every night, then that might be a different part or different path in this career versus do you want to see the world? That's a different path. What do you want? And I think that'll really help you at 25 years old get clarity on which direction to take. I, I get this question over and over again. And it's good that we hear these questions all the time, and it's great that people relate this because there's so many other people that are thinking them this themselves. You know, do I really want to do this? And uh, you know, you really have to, as Tom says, and and most people will tell you, you know, define the path you want and and what is it you really want? What do you want to do? 
the unmanned aircraft systems, I, I am one that am fascinated by them, uh, and I've also written about them. You know, I, I feel personally, and I've written an article about this, that we are in the golden age of UAS, or unmanned aircraft systems. But during that golden age of flight, if you remember, we had a lot of accidents and incidents. I don't think the American public now will allow such a thing. We are not believers in collateral damage anymore. Uh, if we want to move forward in technology, we want to do this in a manner in which the people that are actually in the system are kept safe. We uh, we have ways to do that, and we are going to continue that way. So I'm excited about it. I think it's a great thing, especially in the military arena. I was just uh, hanging out with a buddy of mine. He flew A-10s. He's now working with the airline I'm working with. And uh, he says, you know, it, it's it's great. I mean, we should have been doing this years ago. You uh, you have a, a aircraft that goes in without the pilot on board, and you know there's you don't risk the pilot. Of course, having the pilot on board allows you to do more because that person can make more decisions. But the one thing is you're not risking their life, and that's really important. Uh, UASs are being considered for cargo airlines. Yes, I understand that, but we're a ways off from that. But you know what? It can happen. <laughs> and some, some, hopefully, Tom, it won't happen in our lifetime. We'll be out of a job. Yes, we will be retired and living in the islands. <laughs> yeah, that's, I like that. Retired in the islands. That's what I want to do. But, uh, yeah, again, I really appreciate that question. And, and do look forward to uh, one of my upcoming episodes. I have, uh, since there are a lot of questions coming in about UASs, and uh, I know I've uh, my comments on the news uh, as – as the UASs and, and the golden age of flight, uh, I've gotten some interesting uh, comments and commentary about that. I really do believe that this is something, this is a wave of the future. We are, it, it can happen quickly, but it's not going to because there is so much government regulation that we have to go through. But you know what? They're trying to push it. Uh, they they have a goal of having it done in a certain date, but we know how government goals go. That it'll be years from now before the, it's actually within our own system. Having actually UASs flying in our airspace, airspace that's shared by others. We of course have that happening now. You know they are flying in our airspace, but usually yeah. the government will shut down the airspace. It's not interacting with other aircraft. I've actually, Carl, this is funny. I've actually followed one in the pattern, and uh, this was down in the southwest. We were going to a joint use airport. You know, talking about some of these uh, smaller. Uh, uh, type of flying we've been doing lately. And we followed this thing in the traffic pattern and air traffic control calls out, you know, number two following, uh, and I forget what he, what he called it. Uh, and sure enough, there that thing was wing up right base. It was a, a different feeling. So Tom, were you nervous about flying in the pattern with a, an aircraft that didn't have someone on board? You know, I wasn't um, simply because I, I'm pretty confident they're not going to put it in, in the pattern unless they know what, you know, I, I just at that point, I have faith uh, in the system and and, uh, and and everything that goes with it. So I wasn't nervous, but it was just a completely different. I mean, I felt like I was in the movie Terminator or something. I mean, it was completely <laughs> odd that, that it was just odd. That's the only way I can describe it. Well, wow. that that's pretty cool. I've never, I've never actually flown in the same airspace with them. Uh, you know, I've, I've uh, flown with fighters and and stuff like that. Especially after nine eleven, when we were flying around, we saw a lot of those guys around. But yeah, uh, that yeah. got me a little nervous. So yeah. You know, <laughs> having something without a pilot on board, that might get me even more nervous. I, I'm not sure. Gosh, I'd have to really think about how, how I feel about that. Um, maybe not so much if the plane was in front of me and I could see it. Right, right. As far as instead of being behind me. And uh, so, gosh, 
Good stuff, though. I, I really think this is uh, one of the things that's going to move forward more. And the larger schools, again, they're going to have they have UAS programs. You can get a degree in unmanned aircraft systems. <laughs> so look for that in the future episodes. Again, thanks thanks for the question there. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. The next question, and uh, actually I think it's going to be our last question, uh, is coming from Carlos. And I'll answer this since I, I uh, probably don't have as much experience on, with this question as Tom does, but I'll give you my, my limited experience here. It's from Carlos. Uh, he says, Hi, Carl. First of all, I just want to say thanks for putting together Aviation Career Podcast. It's really nice to see all the different options there are in aviation. Uh, and believe me, I love bringing it to you, Carlos. This is so much fun. He continues, I am currently a graduate student in computer science, and I will probably continue on that field after I graduate. However, would it be possible to do some charters part-time? If so, what are some things that I should start looking into? I'm currently a student pilot, but I'm within days of taking my check ride. Thanks. Hope to hear from you soon. Uh, well, Carlos, thanks. Uh, you talked a little bit about it was in the subject line. You didn't put it in your question here, but he was talking more about 135 charter. Charter in general's uh, charter. Uh, it uh, there's there's one thir- there's different regulations. We won't go into them, but but there's rules associated with charter. If you're going to put yourself out to actually fly somebody else around, uh, personally and. There's something else to talk about here, too, is part-time corporate flying. It's not necessarily in the charter department, but you could be flying part-time in a a corporation. And it actually didn't – I did that before. I worked part-time, and the corporation I flew for did have a charter department, but I worked under different rules. I flew around their executives, and I did uh, flights to do demonstrations of those corporate aircraft to other people that were looking to buy them. That was another thing this corporation did because they had such a nice plane. They would actually bring it to, for their sales. But it, it didn't really work that well for me, and I'll tell you why. Because you know they brought me on for some trips. They liked what I did, but my schedule was so tight with everything else I was doing because I was doing another job, and I was trying to do charter part-time. And I, was a, I was a flight instructor at the time, and the most important thing to me was my students. And I wasn't about to cancel a lesson just so I can go do a charter flight. So what I would have to do is is leave days open to do those charter flights. Well, the problem is if if they don't need you on those days, I just lost all those days of instructing. So, you know, it didn't really work out for me. If I had a different type of job, maybe... Uh, where my I had a work schedule that was super flexible. Uh, it's not something that a specific person relied on me personally. Uh, if it wasn't flight instructing, I probably would have done more. Uh, so I really it, it didn't work, but I, I I'm sure it works for some people. I'm going to have to defer to Tom on this question. So uh, Tom, can you help Carlos out with this answer? Well, my first reply would be probably with a private pilot license, you're not going to be able to really get, you find much. Uh, you're, you're going to want to get the instrument and the commercial and the multi-engine because essentially that's where all the charter flying is going to be at, at every level from small twins all the way up to big corporate jets. And so uh, I would first get all the ratings. While you're doing that, however, uh, it's all about the network. I mean, that is how you're going to find part-time work, part-time charter work is just is because you know somebody. Now, when you get there and, and you know somebody, you're going to need the time to qualify for insurance and all those things. So that's why I say, you know, get the ratings and the instrument and multi-engine and all those things. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing I think a lot of, uh, at least I didn't realize when I started flying charters part-time, because like you, Carl, I 
uh, in my career was flying full-time for a family. They didn't fly all the time, so I would fly part-time for other people. And the thing to realize about part-time charter flying, this is especially true for charter flying, a little bit less if it's just part 91 flying part-time, but that's a full-time job. A part-time 135 job is a full-time job uh, for two main reasons. Number one is the schedule, as you alluded to, Carl. It's difficult to do both. It's difficult to work full-time somewhere and then find time to fill in at other places, especially in aviation because schedules change. Uh, That's the first thing. The second thing is supporting something part-time means you're going to have to go do the training associated with it. It means that you're going to have to uh, uh, this is the, the big thing here is know and understand and be intimate with most often two operating certificates. So what I mean by that is if you're flying charter, they're operating under operation specifications specific to that charter. Now, it doesn't matter if you're flying full-time or part-time. You will need to know those, and you will take FAA exams. Most likely, if, it's, uh, if they're hiring you part-time, they're gonna, you're going to do it with your local FAA FISDO office. You need to know those regulations for that operation, that alone is a full-time job. Now, if you're if another full-time job, you've got a whole other set of laws and regulations that you have to deal with, whether you're a doctor or a dentist or you're flying for another corporation. So I would just be cautious as to think, oh, I could just jump in and do some charter part-time. Yes, you can, but realize it's not a part-time job, even if you're only doing it a couple of days a month. It, it does require, if you want to do it at a professional level, it does require an attitude where you say, hey, uh, I've got to treat this like it's a second full-time career so that you can indeed be uh, proficient, efficient, and safe with it. Yeah, that's good advice. Tom, if you could – I have a question. If, uh, For instance, I was the third pilot on a two-pilot crew, and it was for this corporation. And that's the reason I was saying I tried doing it part-time. And they had a lot of third pilots on a two-pilot crew. Uh, after a while, they stopped calling me because I kept saying no. <laughs> and I think it was because the most important thing was the job I was doing that day. Uh, have you had that experience or do you, maybe in the job you're in now or you know of people that have that scenario where they have, say, a pilot on the side that they call on a consistent basis? Yeah. I mean, we in our organization as a five-pilot operation, we hire contractors. I just flew with a contractor the other day. And, excuse me, for us, it is um, first and foremost about the fit. They, they need to fit our department. But short, you know, very close behind that is are they available? And, I, you know, I can't say that we've ever stopped calling somebody because we keep our pool pretty small. But I've definitely heard about that in the industry. And, and I've definitely been, you know, when I was uh, uh, trying to find part, you know, flying part-time people stopped calling me when I couldn't make so many trips. And so, yeah, that is definitely, um, it's definitely an issue for sure. Right. Right. And you know, this makes me think, I think we need to do another episode in the future about corporate flying. So if people have questions about corporate flying, corporate jobs, those type of thing, write them in and I'm going to have Tom back on. We'll, we'll try to answer those questions. So, uh, yeah, we'll do it. Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, it's been great, uh, speaking to you folks and answering your questions and and you know i really appreciate tom taking the time to to help out carlos and all the other folks that have written into us uh and you know one of the things that 
that I've I've get a lot of uh, questions about just specific jobs and uh, people send me their resumes. One of the purposes of this uh, podcast for me now, not saying that I won't do this in the future, is not so much to to move your resume along to a lot of these different organizations uh, and to get your your application in the door. But I have to also be careful because of my relationship with uh, all these companies and airlines that I have access to many people that are in the hiring department. I usually am, have a good relationship with the vice president of hiring at at different airlines, and I want them to continue to come on the show. One thing I can't really do or don't do right now to keep that integrity is I, I don't normally, unless I really know you well, obviously, I don't normally send resumes into these airlines. But with that said, I have people that have been on the show, and I know people that are great at doing that, that are placement companies, etc. So if you do have questions and, and say you're listening to this and you're a placement company and you want to come on the show and, and talk about aviation careers, we've had that in the past, uh, resume companies, that type of thing, You know, we, we encourage that. But uh, I don't do that. There is one thing I'm going to do, and, and they, you know, I'm going to put it out there now, and I'm going to make a commitment to this. And it's always tough to, you know, if you really want to commit to something, say it in public, is one of the questions, <laughs> one of the questions that I get often is about loans and grants and scholarships. And there really isn't, there's not much out there as far as directories for aviation. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to put some links at the top of my website, Aviation Careers Podcast. You'll see the little tabs. It's going to say loans, grants, and scholarships. I actually, <laughs> Through all the things that I do with all the other podcasts, with Sun and Fun Radio, with Stuck Mike Avcast, with this podcast, I, I'm involved with organizations that have these grants and loans. And you know, the, the thing that I hear all the time is nobody knows about these things. Well, what I'm going to do is, I'm gonna, as I come up with these and as I talk to these people, I'm going to start putting those on my website under those tabs, loans, grants, and scholarships. So if you're interested in that, you just go to the tabs and click on loans, click on grants, click on scholarships. If you know of one that's not in there, make sure you send me that information. Email that to me, and I will contact that organization and even possibly have them on the show because the fact is training is expensive. It really is expensive, and we need more avenues that we can go down to get get loans for those trainings. And the loan market truly has dried up. We know in general it has, but especially for aviation because in the past – there have been some organizations that weren't very scrupulous, and they uh, they actually took people's money and didn't give them the training. And those people that borrowed the money were still on the hook for those loans. We don't want that happening again. And we want to make sure you do get your training and you do get the money for that training. And aren't put a, aren't on the hook for those loans if if you don't pay those. So there's there's a lot of laws now in effect. Uh, for loans and, and grants. That's another reason you don't hear many people talk about them because there's a lot of liability involved when you do give out a loan uh, in aviation because of the fact that these organ other organizations have done that, taken people's money and, and run with it. We don't want that happening, and that's why we're going to start putting that on our website. So I, I appreciate all those questions. And, uh, you know, on a side note real quick, as far as the financing is concerned, you don't uh, want to stop your training uh, if you can. Say you're doing your instrument rating like I did. I had a certain amount of money uh, set aside for that training, but I also had a credit card that I knew didn't have any money on it just in case I couldn't finish that training. Well, what happened is I I underestimated the cost by about a thousand bucks, and I put that thousand dollars on my credit card. I'm not a big fan of credit cards, but but I did it because I knew that 
borrowing money for something that's going to make me money later was okay. Uh, if it was something like a, a boat membership or something like that, no, I wouldn't. But but for that, it would. It was important. So uh, so I did do that. So make sure you you have all your ducks in a row for training. And and with that said, uh, we normally have a uh, at the end of this episode, I talk a little bit about you know a, a recommended product, service, or website. Well, I have with me today Tom, of course. And Tom's a corporate pilot, but Tom also is involved in helping people uh, financially, and he's got some cool uh, advice to give people, and he does that through a podcast and a website. So my recommendation actually is Tom's website, and of course, you know, in aviation, but also uh, where he helps people with money. And Tom, what is that? Describe that website to us. Yeah, so that website, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever talked about this in the show, but I, I had a stint in the um, financial advising world, and I still actually maintain some of that today. And I did that uh, pretty hardcore for about seven or eight years. And, uh, and then as I kind of reentered full-time back into the flying world, um, decided I would teach people everything that I had learned. And so I do that at a website uh, called Your Money House. Uh, and on a podcast, as you mentioned, Carl, called The Money Subjects Made Simple Show. And uh, that's in iTunes as well. And that's really about simplifying money and helping people work together so they can improve their finances uh, at, at any income level because you really can at any income level. So uh, that, that's what I do there. And uh, you know, so many people in aviation, we end up in the beginning of this career having to take on loans. And so it's really smart if you're if, to, to be very strategic about how you do that. And uh, my website isn't all about loans and, 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 and aviation loans, but the fundamentals uh, that we talk about on the podcast and in the site uh, could definitely help folks uh, no matter where they are in this journey. Well, Tom, I, I've looked at it, and I think it's terrific. It's, it's great what you're doing there. And, uh, and again, uh, how do they find that one more time? Yeah, it's at uh, yourmoneyhouse.com is the website and the podcast is the money subjects made simple show okay you're okay well i'll write that i'll have that in the show notes and have a link to that but uh but tom hey listen i appreciate your coming here today that's uh that's some great stuff that you have there i think it's important for people to get their their money in order and tom has some experience in in corporate world and it's been terrific that we've been able to meld the two here and i i do appreciate your coming on tom and i hope you'll come on in the future for another show about corporate aviation yeah, definitely, Carl. Love talking about it, and thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, thanks for listening to Aviation Careers Podcast. Uh, you know, your questions are really important to us. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, there's a lot of ways to contact us. Just simply go to aviationcareerspodcast.com, click on the contacts page, fill out the form, send it to us. Uh, we want to hear all questions. Uh, you can also send your questions in via Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I'm at Aviation Careers Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter. My handle's at Flying Careers. Uh, I also have a, a website and a blog where I put everything else on, and that's at expertaviator.com. That's actually the more uh, popular website, expertaviator.com, where I do everything in aviation. All my other podcasts are out there. So if you want to see what else I'm doing in aviation, from Sun and Fun Radio to Stuck Mike Avcast to any of the other instrument training that I do and also the FA safety seminars, it'll be there. Of course, one of the great ways you can get in touch with us is by voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail at 347-MY-WINGS, or that number again is 347-699-4647. And Tom, what's the best way they can reach you? You know, the best email for me is tom at yourmoneyhouse.com, or we can, uh, uh, we've also got a listener line at uh, 586 330 
888-888-0802. And I'll reply uh, to both the line and email. So I welcome, uh, welcome any emails or comments you might have as well. Well, folks, again, thanks for listening to Aviation Careers Podcast. Again, we appreciate Tom coming on here and, and joining us today. If you found this information useful, do me a favor and uh, rate us on iTunes so that others can find us by rating us on iTunes at Aviation Careers Podcast. It helps other people find us. Remember this. Remember to always keep focused on your career goal. But be ready to make many changes because those challenges that you're going to meet along the way and the path that you go down is going to be really varied but continually focus on your career goal and don't be afraid to change that goal along the way and redefine it because your goals 10 years ago are going to be different than 10 years from now so you're going to always be changing those Uh, remember these challenges are the process through which our resolve is hardened just like steel so keep focused on your goal I have faith that you will achieve it Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion before purchasing any product or service you should always do your own research music by billy wheeler all rights reserved